2: It's a fancy restaurant, so there's fuckle on the plate, so it doesn't take you time for it. <laughs>
3: <laughs> I loved it, and I will recommend it to lots of people, but I do think the stress factor has put a lot of people off.
0: So I just quickly looked up your score for Uncut Gems, which is previously a film that's been. Talk about the stress factor, time and time again.
3: Did I give it a five? You gave because <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to stress people out. <laughs> <laughs> mean. <laughs> Hello, everyone. Joining watcher today, we have Liam. Hello. Paul. Hi. And as always, Kobe.
0: Hello, everyone.
3: And we're here to talk about Boiling Point. Thank you, as always, to the mighty people for the mighty, mighty tunes. And thanks to Ben from Rockwood Audio for his awesome editing skills.
0: Please do remember to write a review and rate us on Apple Podcasts anywhere you can do where you listen to the podcast because it really does help us.
3: And you can join in the conversation with us on Twitter
0: at FlixWatcherPod and on Instagram
3: at FlixWatcher. Hello, film fans. Welcome to Flick's Watcher Podcast. Our guests today are Liam and Paul. Over to you, please, Paul, to tell the listeners a little bit more about who you are and what you do, please.
2: Oh, hi. Well, I have a podcast of my own, which is called Spotlight. It's been running for about seven years. It was my idea to try and get my friends to watch Star Trek. and my long way of doing it, and now I'm paying the price. So we've done over 100 episodes. But it's worked so far. I think I've managed to convert a couple of non-believers to the canon of Trek. and But at the same time, we've managed to indulge our shared love of cinema. We're all big film fans and, you know, we've got that going back 20 years of friendship, which uh, hopefully comes across in the podcast. So join us for a good time at the movies.
0: So Paul, have have you deepened your love or interest or like the Star Trek universe since starting this podcast? Are you you more tired of it than you were before?
2: It's a double-edged sword because there are, you know, I am not particularly fond overall of the new content which is being produced. There are some bright spots in that, but I've not clicked with it, but it has allowed me to explore the kind of 90s Trek particularly DS9 which I did not give a chance on its release that was sort of ran from 93 to 99 and I just sort of sort of the black sheep of the franchise and I, I'm coming to it now fresh eyes and just realizing what an important part of Trek it is not just Trek but TV in general and it broke such a big ground in serialized storytelling you know long arcs there but the rich characterizations but also just like the politics of it all is great and it, it dates extremely well for those regards so i think ds9 discovering that through this show has been a real plus point for me
0: that's deep space nine guys if you didn't get the if you didn't know that little you don't need to watch the first date liam who are you
1: i'm liam i am one of the other co-host of spotlight as paul has just described very very well come and join us if you're a fan of star trek or you're looking to get into it or even if you have no interest in star trek at all and you're just hardcore into movies as we cover lots of other tangential star trek related stuff on there as well and i also do some tv and film coverage for bbc local radio occasionally as well
0: Thank you very much for that lovely intro. Liam's been on the show a few times, so do, if you want to hear more of his voice, go into your little podcast app. When you get to FlixWatcher, type in Liam, you're the only one, and you'll be there a few more times. But you're here to talk about your third film that you've chosen for us. This is Boiling Point. Liam, can you tell us, first of all, why you chose it? And then you got 60 seconds maximum.
1: Well. <laughs> the reason I chose it is because I actually chose Taxi Driver, Martin Scorsese seminal film first, only for it to drop off Netflix at the last minute. So I had to come up Ooh. with a last minute replacement. And I was looking around, I went basically completely the other way from a kind of heralded kind of masterpiece to a far more recent and kind of smaller british indie film that was critically well received well enough to get adapted into a sequel tv series coming soon but like a much much kind of you know smaller film that i just really wanted to hype up because i saw it in the cinema and thought it was amazing and it's a great done in one shot and it's a real one shot no bullshit stitching like 1917 or anything like that So, yeah, it's a really, really good film. And, yeah, I can read the uh, plot synopsis for you if you so wish.
0: Starting now. So,
1: Andy Jones, head chef of an upmarket restaurant in London, gets plunged into a pressure cooker of a night as problem after problem piles up for Andy and the staff from a disastrous health and safety inspection. A celebrity chef, a top food critic, an arrogant Instagram influencer and a horrible racist on the guest list. Conflicts bubbling between the front of house and the kitchen. A £200,000 debt hanging over Andy's head along with his own drink and drug problems. And a guest with a severe walnut allergy problem just waiting to go wrong.
0: Well, just nut allergy just generally, wasn't it? That was a Chekhov's gun right from the start, wasn't it? Oh, (laughs)
1: yeah. Yes. Very much so. Very much so.
0: Paul, have you seen this before?
1: I hadn't.
2: I'm really pleased to have the opportunity to watch it. I had wanted to see it but it's one of those where you kind of know this is going to be stressful going in so perhaps that's why it's been sort of just sitting there on the shelf a bit longer than i anticipated it's gonna be 90 minutes of high pressure action and i already knew that our friends in the hospitality sector had it hard and i this is you know wanted to see that what's it all inside
1: look yeah, you know, this is it
0: have you guys worked in hospitality at all in, in any way shape or form yes
1: i haven't but my wife has and that's why she won't watch this film, because it will give her a panic attack, because she has worked in a Michelin star restaurant kitchen. And yeah, so stuff like this is just it's just not good for her. She did enjoy the menu, though. But apart from that, she just swears off films like this, basically.
3: Helen. Yeah, I'd seen this before and, yeah, I really liked it. On paper, when you're reading the synopsis, it could have been, like, really, really cheesy and really crap and really kind of over, like dramatised everything but it's so in the kitchen and Stephen Graham is just great you can just really believe that he's just this chef who's just having the worst shift of his life and those customers are real they're all like wankers they're just horrible and yeah if you've ever worked in hospitality you'll know you've got to do those temperature checks and you've got to fill in that little book because when health and safety come around and you've not done it that's it you're going to be in trouble so obviously sad not to talk about taxi driver maybe we will in the future but this was a good replacement one so yeah i I had a lot of fun with this one
0: i think the so i've worked in a few different hospitality sectors worked as a bouncer worked as a waiter worked behind the bar i've never above i've had a semi-child night because i know a lot of people have had like a properly hard time you know, where they work. And I think the kitchen porters tend to get the brunt of it. Like the guy who turned up late in this film after and then started buying whatever from the car. Those guys tend to get a lot of the brunt of the from the chefs and everything. But I know from from the experience that you've just confirmed now as well, Liam, that it's horrible in there. It can be like really horrible. And a lot of people are saints to work with the people who have to work with and also to work with a lot of the customers who are the worst and we saw a few of the worst there for me the worst was the instagram people just wanting everything because thirty thousand followers what are you talking about what's what are you get out
1: but the problem is is the restaurant manager just eats right into their hands doesn't she and exactly, she's such yeah. an idiot because it's just that <laughs> thing of like like you say it's like when i remember watching the film the first time when he says oh, i've got thirty thousand followers i was like it's not that many like is that really a big deal like she's like instantly fawning over them free drinks everything so frustrating
0: one of my favorite things at the moment on the internet is when an influencer reaches out to someone like a high like a really good creative and they say we can't pay you but we can give you exposure and it's just like well how did you find my name already (laughs) yeah i don't need your exposure (laughs) just give me your money i'll come i'll work for you just give me the money yeah paul let's talk about Stephen Graham
2: this is I a admit this is my cinema sins I wasn't sold on Stephen Graham before this movie I didn't much care for him in Public Enemies the Michael Mann's 2008 film where he's uh,
0: is that I mean Public Enemies wasn't that good a film though no
2: but he, him in it stood out as kind of uh, he did, was attempting an accent and also then again in The Irishman I didn't like the accent he put on there either any kind of Annoyed the hell out of me. So, like, you know, you turn up in these gangster movies, like, kind of a bit out of place. Here, we're, you're sporting, I don't know if this is, is he Liverpool Liam? Yeah, that's his real life, Yeah, so, it's like Bob yeah. Oh, yeah. God. So it's, it's Unhinged, Stephen Graham, like, also Like, it's, <laughs> he, he owns the screen every time he's on it. And he is, a, it's a tour de force, isn't it? You can flare up. He can kind of take, simmer down, like uh go do lots of like boiling kind of metaphors here. But it's just, when he comes back on screen, you're just sort of waiting for the next kind of bit of his armor to come away. I mean, it's already, he's clearly a walking wounded as he comes in, you know, straight away with the coffee. And I love that reveal that like this his sports bottle, which you think is water, halfway is you realize is straight vodka that he's been taking. You can rewatch this film, I suppose, with that in, in context actually now. It, it's, it's terrific. Stephen Graham, top marks for the man. And, and produced it too, didn't he? So I mean, like, it's he, he takes a lot of credit behind the camera for this.
0: It's definitely an interesting actor because I first saw him in This Is England,
1: yep.
2: I
0: think, and then he, he did lots of other small things. I always knew him as like a proper scout. Then I saw him in Boardwalk Empire as playing Scarface. I was like, yeah, I don't quite get your accent, but I, I still loved his energy for a small because he's got a kind of small feisty.
1: Oh yeah, he's a great Capone in Boardwalk. He's a I think out of those three of Public Enemies, The Irishman ball walk empire of him playing those american gangsters ball walk empire is the one because you get to see him essay that role over five seasons i think he is a great capone completely it would be the one i hadn't seen wouldn't it like (laughs) (laughs) but i think also it's like paul I, i think probably what you've missed up until now is a lot more of his homegrown material in terms of because something i really respect
0: oh snatch as well sorry did you say snatch helen
3: no, I said Shane Meadows.
1: He, I mean, he is, obviously, he has a small role in Snatch as well. That's a very early role. But with Graham, it's that thing of he has sailed the heights. He's been in Martin Scorsese film. He's been kind of, you know, Al Capone in Boardwalk Empire. But he just continuously comes back to small British indie films and TV series all the time. And he is an actor who could just be in Hollywood paycheck films. He's in, like, the Venom films and stuff like that. But it's just that thing of he clearly just cares about the acting. And he's done so many amazing smaller indie movies and small screen roles.
0: And, like say, TV shows as well. Yeah. Like Save Me and Save Me 2, for example. Yeah. He plays i with a not great background i'll I just would put it that way but he plays it really well with compassion and you're like you, you're on his side in some way shape or form
1: the virtues as well shame yeah, I, don't, I
0: don't want to watch that i just don't want to watch that
1: <laughs> it, it's incredibly powerful stuff but it is it's hard going but he is brilliant in it
0: and also was in, in a prison film prison tv show with sean bean
1: yeah time absolutely brilliant again yeah
0: so you're right. I think that's what I think. What I like about him is the way he does. It doesn't stick it like a store thumb, but you still think that's Stephen Graham. He's from like Liverpool way when he appears with Scorsese and De Niro. But at the same time, I do love it when he comes back to the UK film and TV industry. But in this, I think, like I said, unhinged, unfettered Scouse Stephen Graham is really good because he does like the the big shouty Scouse rants. But then he was like, "Oh, soft lad," and sort it out, and he helps the, he helps them out. And, so it just really flip flop, flip flop, and really affect him in this. But I guess one of the main selling points of this film was the all-in-one cut aspect of things and Helen, you're nodding your head. Did they think it worked in this? Was it Yeah. right for this kind of film? Is it just gimmick? Is it a gimmick?
3: I think f- given it's like, it's it's quite short, it's an hour and 34 minutes-ish that it, it works for that kind of length. I think if it had been any longer then you start to lose a bit of the belief in it, it being that long. And I think the one take adds to that kind of like pressure cooker kind of really kind of stressful vibe of being right in their kitchen and as they're kind of like jostling about you're in there so I had forgotten it was a one take film until I realised that it was I was like oh yeah it's a one take one in it yeah so that wasn't like something that had it wasn't like the one take film that I remembered it for it was for the the chef one that was actually quite true to life according to my chef friend
1: It adds to the intensity so much, the all-done-in-one-take, especially as it's not a faked one-take. Because when you look at so many of the famous one-take movies, like Alfred Hitchcock's Rope, uh, you've got Birdman, 1917, Carter, they're all things where it's stitched together. It's not a real one-take. It's all a case of, like, you know, it's about three or four, and then they stitch them together, hiding them sometimes better, than others but with this it's real it's is one take they did it i think about six times and they literally were going to do it more but it was filmed literally just before the first lockdown so they had to stop and they basically had to just take the best one of what they had and get on with it because obviously it's a small indie film working on a low budget they couldn't reconvene the shoot again afterwards so they had to go with it but i, I think it works so well i think one of the other things about this film is that
2: It doesn't feel contrived that all these things are sort of coming to a head on this night. I think you get the sense of history already between the the way the characters are kind of introduced that there is tension that pre-exists the night before and there's really good kind of allusions to that when they have the kind of hard look at the beginning who's the grill man who's just like clearly like fucked off already. Or Freeman. Freeman doesn't want to be part of the picture. You know, it's going to pay off later. He should be the one that's going to call things out. Like he's going to lose it. The tension between front and back of house there with Kelly,
1: is it? Oh, Carly. Carly is the sous-chef. The maître Carly D. is
2: the sous-chef, yeah. Between Carly and the hostess, the, the front house manager, these things, when they do pay off, they don't feel like they just kind of like come out of nowhere. And that's really incredible to sort of set that up within such a short time frame. And everyone take, you know, it's like we only met these people like in the same shot like 20 minutes before, and yet we buy the blow-ups. And another thing about it's it so remarkable is there's even a little kind of throwaway bit where pastry chef, uh, who's clearly had her own business, and she's a bit more kind of world-wise, is sort of taking a young, probably 18-year-old sort of apprentice under her wing and she lifts up his sleeve and realizes that he's been self-harming and she immediately cries. It breaks down. She knows the kind of, like, there's a history here. she got to like this person. She's immediately affected by what that means for them and for him and that, that their relationship. How do you fucking do that as an actor? You're waiting for that moment to come. Like, how do you get in the headspace that, like, you cannot not cry and have that, that visceral reaction at that point? and then, you know, turn it on. It's That's what makes this film all the more remarkable is that everybody has their moment, but it takes great skill to pull these moments off. They're not just going, they're not having a, a dialogue scene. It just sort of is, they can rehearse it as their emotions are there.
0: I think one thing that Liam said about the, obviously it is done in one take and really done in one take, but there are a couple of pauses where people behind the scenes can just like t- take a breather. Like for example, the, the house manager goes into the toilet and you can imagine everyone just going, behind the camera's going, right, Breathe, relax, and then let's go again. So there's, there's obviously places like that. I think you probably just, you just probably need that in this in the kind of setup. But one, can you answer a question for me? Because I couldn't quite work out. It's done in one take, but it's not done in real time, is it? Because it seems like they've they open the restaurant. They're doing the power. Then like ten minutes later, suddenly there's there's um, there's customers there. And they've already ordered the stuff.
1: Oh, I think it is real time. It's real time. Because yes. they're, they're
2: overbooked. They, it's a pop point. It's that you know, they, they, she didn't manage the bookings properly. So they've got way too many people. So the covers they're doing, they have to turn the table over quickly. So I think it's get them seated, get them in, and,
1: and things kick off straight away, don't they?
0: Yeah, I just didn't see anyone arrive and Sunday was full. So there's the, but obviously.
1: I think it's just because we go behind into the kitchen and then we come back out and people have filtered in while we've been off screen kind of thing. I think that's the way it works because, like you say, they keep going away from it.
0: But also, I was thinking about the timing of when Jason Fleming's character orders, you know, they order their food and then they get it. I was like, is, is that the real time it would have worked? Or maybe I'm just being picky. Not, I don't have a problem with it not bending the time because it still was definitely one take. And I think it kind of makes sense that over the course of what would be a three-hour experience in a, in a good restaurant like that, that it is it's the kind of compressed it and taken the bits that just...
3: Depends on the dishes as well, because they would have had a yeah. lot prepared and some of it would just basically maybe be cooking the meat through or certain part of it would have been heated and everything else is going to be sort of ready.
2: It's a fancy restaurant, so there's fuckle on the plate, so it doesn't take you time to move around.
0: a But they still make you, sometimes they make you wait for these things, don't they? Well, I don't know. I'm going to read more into
1: that. I think it is condensed in terms of, I think we are seeing it in real time, but I think they have compressed how much incident and event they can get into in that hour and a half. Like you say, it might in in reality, it might have happened over an entire night, but then it would have to have been like a five-hour film. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah.
0: I mean, that's what, that's what I mean. I think, I, I think it's completely fine compressing that time into the, almost like the camera turns round, it's focuses on the kitchen for a bit, and it turns back around and you see more people in the restaurant and they're more advanced in their food. And I think that's a completely f- fantastic way of telling the story because you don't necessarily need the in-between bits. In any story, you just kind of jump to the parts that of of interest, right? So, and I think that's perhaps no difference in this.
3: The time from like when an order reaches the kitchen to when it needs to be out on the table is quite tight as well those are short turnaround times for getting those meals out for the tables no one's going to want to wait what's the maximum amount of time you'd wait for your meal to come out i think
0: i think you'd probably wait for, you know 20 odd minutes for i think I may, I may be going down too far rabbit hole here but other one shot films i think work on the premise more than the actual quality of the film is that like the last night in soho that uh, woody Harrison did for example
1: oh you mean um, lost in he, london
0: Log- yeah. Lost in London. Yeah, Lost last night? Last night so I was Edgar Wright. I apologize. Yeah, Lost in London. And I thought it was a film, Victoria, which I never got around to seeing, but I like the uh, idea of. Yeah, well. Victoria, yeah. And they were supposed to have been done in real time. And often it's sold by the, the gimmick rather than the story. And the, I think this kind of danced the i think it's threaded
1: the needle quite well this one yeah i agree i mean lost in london is an interesting one because that is a film not only all in one take but actually shot live like it was brought first ever live film so it was broadcast to cinemas yeah. live on the night as they shot it which is insane and mm-hmm. an amazing achievement but the film itself is not that
0: great yeah, you're watching it for that experience. Yes,
1: yeah, yeah, exactly. That's the that's the naughty. Whereas this, I feel, is amazing performances, a really good, really intense movie where the kind of the gimmick, as you say, actually does add to the whole experience rather than just feel. Gimmicky. Also, should point out that Hannah Walters, who plays Emily, the pastry chef who finds out her apprentice has Sasha Riss. He's also This Is England alumni, along with Stephen Graham as well. As she plays the uh, woman from the shoe shop in This Is England who goes, these are from London, <laughs> which is one of my favourite moments in that film. But yeah, there's just so much going on all the time. Like you say, we follow the kitchen staff, the waiters, the waitresses, the restaurant manager, even the cleaners in their own little vignettes. So it's just you really do just feel like you get a kind of full swathe of the entire restaurant experience in one film.
0: Is there anything else guys want to say before we head to the scores?
1: We can cover it in the scores, I'm sure. Okay. I'm Sam Clements, host of the 90 Minutes or Less Film Festival, another podcast in the Stripped Media family, a podcast that celebrates movies under 90 minutes long. Each episode, I'm joined by a special guest who selects a movie to join our prestigious lineup. Past guests have included fellow Stripped Media family members Martin and Sam from Song by Song and Kobe from Flixwatcher and Dave from The Wire Stripped. Search for us now on the app you're currently listening to this podcast or join us at 90minfilmfest.com.
3: So welcome to the Watcher scores. The scores are out of five. You can have decimal places if you wish. And we'll start with you, please, Liam, with your recommendability.
1: So recommendability, I'm going to go with 4.8 for this. I'd really highly recommend this film because I I think it would appeal to most people. have shaved off a couple of percentages for maybe people suffering PTSD from working in horrible kitchens like this one that we see depicted on screen. But I think this would appeal to film fans, but also... I think it is a crossover film for mainstream viewers as well because it's so intense and because it's all quite short, and you just get thrown into it i think anyone would get grabbed by what's going on and i think stephen graham's performance is just so incendiary that he can really carry people along and also it's relatable as well because even if you haven't worked within restaurants you've worked within most people have worked in some kind of customer service industry and we can all relate to the bullshit people have to put up with in this film i mean obviously my you said kobe that your worst customer was the instagram influencer my worst customer is the horrific racist guy who's working there who gets a white waitress at first and he seems like reasonably okay and friendly and
0: oh he always had an edge of like i'm a tosser but uh- <laughs>
1: Yeah, but yeah, he is still on the edge, definitely. But he's, he's keeping it together. And then he gets a black waitress and he he just turns completely nasty with her. And I mean, to a really horrible degree. And I, I did love that she did sort of get the last word with him. In the end, because you mentioned Freeman, Paul, who's hilarious in this film, who's a really angry guy in the kitchen. And when this horrible guy sends his lamb back, he's like this is how it's meant to be cooked and i will go and tell him right now like a storm off damn it's it's great so yeah 4.8 for recommendability everyone watch it
2: uh, i'm gonna go a little lower because i i'm just gonna give a bit more kind of uh road out for the people that just like i kind going find this a very stressful experience i think it's not just the people who've worked in this i think this film doesn't quite have a universal appeal because it asks a lot of you as a participant in, in terms of that so you are you cannot help but be caught up in the in the stress of the situation It's going to have a there's a physical response you're going to have so much art leaves you feeling completely nothing and your, your heart rate never goes up you just get you can look at your phone halfway through it this film is, is going to affect you and i think for some people that's just not what they want and i think this film demands of you that attention what i also think it is a great advert for cinema because it is whilst an indie film low budget this is doing something that tv does, can't do or doesn't do it's a high concept performed impeccably it needed the rehearsal time you would not get in a television show to pull it, this off you
0: had the um, there's a tv show the bear that came out last year and it had one episode each episode typically that was like 40 minutes but one episode was i think just shy of 30 and that was a one-shot film based in a restaurant so that was my nearest comparison but you know you're right it's it's something that's it's difficult to do and pull off well and it that episode got lots of plaudits.
2: Yeah. My, my wife has sort of said after this, like, you know, you've got to start the bear again. I've only watched the first one of that. And yeah, it takes a lot to pull me into TV. And so I, I will revisit that, the bear, because it does get a lot of plaudits and, you know, another recommendation there. But yeah, I think that's why I think it's it's got, I would say, 3.4. For recommendability. Yeah, because I think there are people, it's just it's not going to be their bag.
0: Helen?
3: Yeah, um, I'm going to give it a 4.5. And the dropping the 0.5, I think... Some people, yeah, would just find this too intense and too stressful. And I guess there's quite a lot going on. But then again, nothing really that much happens because it is just kind of set overnight and nothing is, it kind of ends rather abruptly. And there's no kind of neat package at the end, which might annoy some people. But yeah, I loved it and I will recommend it to lots of people. But I do think the stress factor has put a lot of people off.
0: So I just quickly looked up your score for Uncut Gems, which is previously a film that's been talking about the stress factor time and time again.
3: Did I give it a five? You gave it (laughs) a (laughs) five. Because I wanted to stress people out. (laughs) (laughs) Mean.
0: That's, I think this is another companion piece. If you do want high adrenaline without explosions or punching, then th- that's an interesting double bill. I'm going for 4.2. I think it's, it's good. I, I'm i not sure I really like the ending. I thought it was almost a bit too neat, but I guess it makes sense that this night we're watching because it starts off, as, you know, he's bereft from his family, goes down in ratings, his ex-boss, ex-partner, ex- you know, person he works with turns up, making him stressed out already, but then wants £200,000 off him addicted to some kind of drugs on alcohol and everything goes to pop this one night and that's the night he cocks it we don't know if he dies or not properly so it makes sense that we're watching this but it's still like really at the end does he follow? and that's it it almost seems like a bit too too much of a get out of jail free card maybe that's just me a repeat viewing score
1: yeah just i mean to be fair jason fleming in this film would stress me out if i was stephen graham's <laughs> it's there. What's missing? 2%. (laughs) Very, very irritating. Rewatchability score, 4.2. I will give this because I will probably watch this again. It literally was a breeze to rewatch it because there's loads of great moments that you enjoy watching again because they're almost like, like I say, little vignettes, little set pieces. Like the visit from the health inspector in this is really, really great. Played by Thomas Coombs, who's also in Save Me as well, of course. And it, he's really, really great in that small scene. He feels like the old Mac Jobsworth. Although one small thing I did think was hilarious with his character was it's so obviously something written prior to the pandemic because he's the way he treats and plays the character is like, oh, what an annoying Jobsworth. Whereas now we're like, the things he's saying about hygiene, like, yeah, they make sense. You know, actually he's the hero of the film. Also, of course, I, I could watch Carly's sustained rant to beth a million times like because surely we've all worked for a daddy's little rich girl like that and wanted to absolutely go off like she does in that film to her it's yeah. amazing and
2: nepo paul yeah i'd say a 2.5 because i feel it's got i don't see myself revisiting it because it's like <laughs> you put yourself through it once you've you know you've done your hard graph. Put yourself
0: through it that's not like that's it's not a ever.
2: brilliant first time watch <laughs> yeah willingly walking back into that kitchen and, and I suppose, like, i with you as well, like, maybe the ending is a little bit, perhaps, you know, there are other ways they could have done that. Perhaps just sort of him at the crossroads of, like, the exit and, and going back into the kitchen. Just fret hold there and just, you know, black, go to black. But, like, the heart attack may be a little bit sort of your convenience. I mean, it'd be funny if you faked it, like, just for the movie to get out of that situation. Like, yeah, it's like, ah, just... So, yeah, I think any film that kind of, like, has a kind of, like, an ending that's sort of very, well, I don't know. Actually, I like that you don't know things. I also like you don't know what's going to happen the next day, and you and you go away thinking about like where all these people are going to end up because this this whole operation's in jeopardy by what's happened, and. I mean, but I, what I don't want is a TV show to tell me. So, oh, is that, that supposed to, is, is it supposed to happen? As to to
0: TV, is it supposed to be continuation? Is it?
1: Yeah, it's a sequel TV show. It is coming on the way. Stephen Graham returning, so he's not dead. So we know he, he survives. Although apparently, Vinette Robinson, who plays Carly, is very much the lead of the TV show, with Graham being more of supporting role.
0: But she said she's quitting. We'll find out. Obviously, if he's if he's survived,
1: but maybe it's but I, I, maybe it's a different
0: restaurant. If he survived the pulmonary embolism, then, you know, she can stay at a restaurant. Helen?
3: Yeah, I'm not sure whether I'd want to watch a TV series about this. I, f- I feel like I quite enjoyed the moment, but whether I'd want a whole TV series. I've seen this the once, I'd seen it fairly recently when you suggested it, so I didn't go back in for a rewatch. So maybe I'll, I might, could watch it again in the future. It's quite short. So I'll go down the middle of 2.5. I'll
0: watch it again. Three. I'm not going to rush to watch it. But uh, from where I my wife said let's do you want to watch Boiling Point? So yeah, why not? So it's gonna be all right. I'll probably watching her more than the film. Small screens go
1: well talking about the small screen i will just say in regards to the sequel tv series i actually looked up my review i wrote from when i saw this in the cinema from january last year the last line of my review is i'd happily watch an entire tv season of this next <laughs> and that was long before the tv show was announced so there there you go i, I clearly wanted it from there
0: you've willed into existence
1: Small screen score, I'll give 3.7. I think this does work on the small screen because it's a, a low-budget kind of British indie film and obviously they're going to make a TV version, and everything like that. I think, I think it does work perfectly well. However, I saw this in the cinema. <laughs> and,
0: and I'm smug about it.
1: <laughs> it. It was an amazing cinema experience. It really, really was. And randomly, apparently... The parents of the cinematographer, Matthew Lewis, who, I mean, all plaudits to him because he did a terrific job with this movie, were in my cinema when I I saw it. They were in the same screening as me. I only know this because there was only one screening of it. In Brighton at the Odeon, Brighton, and they wrote into like the Kerr Mode podcast, and we're like, we were at this screening here. Brighton. I was like, well, that must be the one I was at. So there you go. And it was just, yeah, just amazing. It's what you just felt so locked in in that one shot, like in there. It was a really visceral cinema experience. So three point seven, you can do it on small screen, but if it gets a cinema screening, go and see that,
0: Paul. Cool.
2: I'm going to say 3.7. I would like to, I watched this on my flat screen in the living room, which does, which I've, all my sound systems in here in the cinema room. So I think this film would have benefited from immersive audio more than a bigger screen, I think, because I really was enjoying the sound design of the film, but I think it was in stereo, it was quite flat. And I think, you know, you, you, the transitions from kitchen to the kind of the, the, the ambient music, it was sort of oppressive, like, because you're going back out to where the, the arseholes are the twinkling piano and that kind of like elevator music that accompanies some of these high-end bars. It was brilliant, like that kind of tonal shift that that brought with it. And I think 5.1, I think that would have uh, added an extra mark for me.
3: Helen? Yeah, I didn't get to see this at the cinema. I think it came onto streaming quite quickly and had quite a limited release. So I would have gone to see this at the cinema, I think, had I had the chance. That said, it's kind of like sort of tv sort of setting feel works at home so i would like to have gone see it at the cinema for that atmosphere but i think it works fine at home so four
0: yeah, i'm going to 4.2 i would have liked to see it at the cinema the first time but now i've seen it on the small screen i don't think i'd go to to the cinema to see it you know for the second appearance whereas sometimes that's the opposite where i'm like chomping a bit to actually, actually watch it in the cinema engagement score liam
1: So I'll give this a 4.9, almost full marks. I think it's an incredibly engaging film. I think as soon as it starts, pretty much, you're in it. Certainly from the moment we actually get into the restaurant, I think you are absolutely in for this and you're glued to the screen. It's so compelling and intense. When I watched it in the cinema, when it ended, I was genuinely shocked because I thought we were like 45 minutes in. Because it had just gone so fast, I couldn't believe it was already done. So yeah, very very close to full marks for me.
2: I got four point nine as well. I, I wanted to carry on. I think it goes back out that I didn't want it to just end there. Like it was a bit of a, oh that that's that's where we're stopping, because I was really into it. I was so invested. But I suppose how much more could could a person well, take? Not much more on the <laughs> one, I, anyway. <laughs> would have been the question. Yeah, it's that's the stamina. Like well, just for him, but as the viewer as well. I think they're right. That is. You are asking a lot of the audience to kind of, especially with the one take, even if you don't realise that's what's happening, it is draining you somewhat. And I think just let them yeah, off the hook <laughs> at 90 minutes.
3: Yeah, I've got pretty high as well. I think part of you is waiting. You're like, when's this not allergy going to come? When is it going to happen? There it goes. But yeah, I mean, it's so short and everything's so fastly paced that yeah, you'd be crazy not to give it full attention. So I'm going to 4.8.
0: Yeah, I'm going to go, let's go high four as well. Let's go (laughs) 4.95. Gives us an overall score 4.01563. It broke the four barrier, which is always a great thing on this podcast. Okay guys. So let's head over to Twitter for those listening. If you don't follow us on Twitter, we are at FlixWatcherPod and do follow us because we talk about stuff on Netflix and film in general, and sometimes some TV and just stuff that makes us laugh, but also because before we record, we put a shout out asking for your opinions. So look out for a tweet saying something similar to this one. We're reviewing Boiling Point with Liam H. Dempsey and Paul from at Spotlight Pod. Have you seen it? Tells your thoughts and the score of five stars for an on-air shout out. And we had a few responses for this one. Liam, as you your choice of film, you can take the first tweet.
1: So this one's from John Lunny at John Lunny. Five minutes in, I had to remind myself to breathe. Five stars completely relate, John. <laughs>
0: yeah, Paul.
2: Okay, yeah, this one's from Easy Rider's Raging Podcast. It's a cracking watch, four stars. The film is small in scale, but re-delivers and deserves to be seen by more people. Was this the Lock of 2022? Now, I was thinking about Lock a lot of, during this. So if people don't remember Lock, it was a kind Tom of- Tom Hardy one a, a, a film shot, yeah, Tom Tom Hardy in a car, talking about pouring concrete for about 90 minutes. It was pretty gripping. And it was like another person at the cru- crossroads of a, a, a mental breakdown. Was it in one
1: shot, Liam? I can't remember. It's not one shot. Locke isn't one shot.
2: No. So it doesn't have that gear it, but was, it was certainly one real-time yeah. sort of setting, wasn't it? Yeah. I think, yeah, I suppose it is. I was recalling Locke with uh, this, re-watching this movie.
0: I can see that. Helen.
3: So this one's from Rhys Hayward. I might know him. I may not. Brilliant film. Dark but strangely heartwarming. A sad reflection of greed and the class system in 21st century Britain. Four stars.
0: Liam, do you want to take one?
1: Okay, yeah, I've got this one from Russell Bailey at Russ Loves Movies. A brutally effective watch, incredible performance from Graham, unrelenting yet fluid work of escalating tension, and he's given it four knives out of five.
0: And I've got one more, Paul, do you want to take that? Yeah, so Matt Clark says four and a half stars,
2: if allowed. Of course it's allowed. We had a, a, another decimal point added. Looking forward to the TV show. Well, somebody is so that's good
1: (laughs) (laughs) I am too Matt I am too and also I would be remiss given that this was written and directed by Philip Barantini and he did an amazing job with this film and I mean this is a real calling card movie and I think he's clearly going to go on to big things however it is actually his second feature film and his directorial debut is a film called Villain which is also available on Netflix star craig fairbrass which don't let it put you off this is part of the fairbrass along with muscle and a violent man it's a really really good indie crime thriller the classic case of criminal gets out of prison tries to go straight all goes wrong and it's a really great debut so definitely check that out as well
0: thank you very much for that liam and for the recommendation but first of all well, we got to go, shortly. Can you tell me and the listeners where we can find you online and say goodbye to everyone?
1: Yeah, obviously you can hear me at Spotlight. So come and have a listen to us for more movie reviews and other things. But you can also see more of my film reviews at The Demps on Letterboxd, if you're on there.
0: And Paul? No, you're not on Twitter anymore. You just said I'm not on Twitter.
2: Yeah, I'm not on Twitter. But yeah, like, come and hear us on Spotlight, having a chat about... That's Star Trek and much more besides.
0: Well, thank you very much, guys. It's been a pleasure and, and great to have yourself, Paul. And finally, it's been the final member from the Spotlight team to join us on Watch. We've been going for nearly 300 episodes or more, yeah. depending on when this episode comes out. we've been
3: waiting out. a long time.
2: <laughs> You've got the set. Yeah, exactly. The collector's <laughs> item is here. The lesser
0: spotted, Paul. Thanks a lot, guys. It's been an absolute pleasure.
3: Thanks for coming on. Bye.
1: Bye-bye. Bye.
3: Enjoyed this episode of Flixwatcher Podcast? Why not leave us a five-star review on iTunes? You can also follow us at FlixwatcherPod on Twitter and we're at Flixwatcher on Instagram. Thanks as always to the mighty people for their mighty, mighty tunes and Rockwood Audio's editing skills. If you're looking to get your podcast edited as sweet as this, get in touch with Rockwood, R-O-K-K, Wood Audio. Tell them Flixwatcher sent you.